Well, good morning, good morning, good morning. It's good to be with you uh, today. I am um, excited about what we have before us here in Mark. Uh, chapter 10 is what we're going to continue in. Um, this is, I think, part three of this chapter, but there's, there's so much. There are a total of 52 verses in this chapter. Uh, but one thing I was thinking about as we are going into this section of Scripture is how it is that the Lord is teaching His disciples. And it reminded me of what Jesus said in Mark chapter 8 and verse 34. It says, In calling the crowd to Him with His disciples, He said to them, If anyone would come after Me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow Me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. And what we have as we continue on is the teaching of the disciples of this very thing that he had said, this point that he had made to them and for them to understand that if anyone would desire to follow after Jesus, that person must deny themselves, take up their cross, and learn how to follow Jesus. You see, the disciples, after Jesus is crucified, after he's buried, after he resurrects from the grave, after he has spent uh, time with them over the course of 40 days, he at that point will ascend and sit at the right hand of the Father. But that's just the beginning. You see, for the disciples, they at that moment, perhaps they thought they were going into uncharted waters, but at that very moment, they'll be sent into uncharted waters. They'll have to know what it means to trust in the Lord, to love Him more than their lives, what it means to deny themselves in the moment, what it means to take up their cross and to follow Him. As we were worshiping, the Lord had actually prepared my heart well before we started singing, uh, well before the first chord struck. As we will at some point, we're, we're going to learn a little bit more about someone by the name of John Chow. And maybe some of you know or are familiar with John Chow, and when I begin to tell you the story of John Chow, um, you might remember who he is, because he was all over the news in 2018. But God used him <laughs> to prepare me and my heart to acknowledge to Think about a life that is completely surrendered to Jesus Christ. He spent many years preparing for one event. And we'll learn about that a little bit later. But what he was doing, what he committed himself to, was the very thing that Jesus was preparing his disciples to do. To be willing to take the gospel even, even unto the ends of the earth. I know in Mark 1.8, we are promised of the Spirit to come upon us, that we may be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so, you could say that as we go into this chapter, it's a continuation of Jesus' teachings to his disciples and to you and us this very morning that we may be well prepared to go into uncharted waters, to take the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. I think for the most of us, we are very selfish, very self-centered. We are very comfortable in the life that we're leading. And yet we, we miss these opportunities to respond to the call of Christ on us 
And saying as Isaiah said, here am I, send me, whatever the cost may be. And so what I hope and what I pray through this morning as we go through this section of scripture is that we would keep our eyes fixed on the author and perfecter of our faith, that we would trust him and have a deeper faith in the one to whom we belong to understand and see how it is that he came to serve and to give his life and then mirror that in our own lives in whatever way he has called us to. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you for this moment that we get to spend in your word. I do ask, Father, that you would minister to us. That, Lord, any distractions that we may have, if they're stirred up in our own hearts because of our own doing or because of our own plans and schedules, Lord, may, may you help us to put that away. Put, put that to the side for the moment. And just focus on you, allowing your spirit to teach us, to give us understanding, to, to give to us wisdom, Lord, and, but also, Lord, to help us to have a deeper love for you and a longing for your glory, to bless you. And for anyone who does not know you as Lord and Savior, I, I pray that this morning, Lord, as we go through these verses, Lord, that, that they would see just how much you love them. You demonstrated it by sending your son to die on the cross on their behalf. And that today, Lord, they would be drawn by your kindness to the point to where they surrender their lives to you completely. Desiring to have eternal life in your glory. Knowing that the only way to get there is through Jesus Christ. And so, Father, we commit again this morning into your hands, Lord. We ask your blessing, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So in John chapter 10, uh, verse 32, we continue uh, after it was that uh, Jesus had been approached by the rich young man and how it was that Jesus uh, used that opportunity to teach his students, his disciples, about what is impossible with man is possible with God and, and, uh, and salvation and, and eternal life and all that. So in Mark chapter 10, verse 32, we continue on from that. And it says, and they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise." You know, people are drawn to the thought of being great, to people who are considered to be great. They like to be encouraged to be great, and some give everything to be great. Greatness is defined as the quality of being great, distinguished or eminent, set apart, important, valuable, famous, significant, or of high standing. William Shakespeare said this, quote, Be not afraid of greatness. Some are born great, some achieve greatness, and others have greatness thrust upon them. Mark Twain said, quote, Keep away from people who try to belittle your ambitions. Small people always do that. But the really great make you feel that you, too, can become great, close quote. Albert Einstein said, quote, Great spirits have always encountered violent opposition from mediocre minds, close quote. Perhaps you've seen these if you have social media and have seen pages of motivational 
people that try and pump you up as far as this world is concerned and success and being great in the eyes of the world. Maybe you've, you've read these, these quotes before. Listen, Jesus was not sent to this earth to be great. He did not prepare his disciples to be great. He didn't do that. Jesus didn't have to be built up or he didn't have to be encouraged. You see, Jesus is the Son of God. He is great. He is God Almighty, the creator of the universe, the Savior, and he is majestic and awesome, faithful, and able to do all things, even to save you. If anyone desires to know what greatness truly is, and desires to be considered great, that is, distinguished in a value, of great value, then for you and I, as children of God, as followers of Jesus Christ, our desire ought to be that we know Him more. We draw closer to the Lord. And we ourselves know the perspective of God and what He considers to be great. John chapter 6, verse, verses 38 through 40 says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. And this is the will of Him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that He has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. This involved trials, tribulation, persecution, rejection, and ultimately, it involved the laying down of his own life to fulfill the will of the Father. Is that what was included in perhaps the quotes and the thoughts of William Shakespeare, Mark Twain, and Albert Einstein? Because this is truly what is seen as being great is as we humble ourselves before the Lord and glorify him. He considers that to be the greatest of all in the kingdom of heaven. This morning, we'll learn, as we read, about the third time that Jesus tells of his own death, the reason for him going to Jerusalem, and with this, we will also learn what it means to be great in the kingdom of heaven, as two of his disciples asked to be great in his kingdom, and then Jesus teaches them what it is to be great in the kingdom of heaven. God said that suffering... Obedience and serving would be part of fulfilling his will. And the greatest in the kingdom of heaven is the servant of all and the person who is willing to lay down his life for the sake of others. Not just to, to live saying it, but also acting upon it, serving others in such a way that you would be considered in the eyes of the world to give yourself as a Willing slave. Imagine that. Everyone's willing until they actually get treated like a slave. You're willing to say, oh, I'm, I'm willing to do anything for the Lord. And then you get treated like one. Well, we're going to learn this morning what it means to honor and glorify the Lord in, in our own lives we have a, a perfect example before, before us. We have Jesus, our Lord and Savior, who is fearless, patient, and he himself came to serve. Not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Let's begin and consider the fact that Jesus is fearless. Let's, start, let's begin again in verse 32. It says, And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, 
We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. Jesus had more than adequately, sufficiently, overwhelmingly, in fact, proven that he is the Son of Man. He is the Son of God. And here he is walking before his disciples. Remember, he set his face to Jerusalem, knowing what was to come there. Well, at this point, Jesus had just finished schooling the Pharisees regarding marriage and divorce, explaining this to the disciples, teaching them, rebuking the disciples for trying to withhold the children from coming to him, and then exposing what was lacking in the life of the rich young man who had asked him what he must do to inherit eternal life. The disciples were left with a lesson on the impossibility of men as far as knowing eternal life, but God being able to do anything and also to save to the uttermost those who place their faith in Jesus Christ. That with God all things are possible. And now a large group of disciples are following Jesus as he is traveling to Jerusalem. He's going before them. He's not waiting for them. He's not waiting for the next person to come up, but he's simply on his way. He's going before the disciples and leading them to the very place that he will be crucified. And those following Jesus are described in this matter, manner They are both amazed and they are filled with fear. They are afraid. It's interesting because Jesus knew this. And yet, it's not that he didn't care. But at that moment, there was a greater work to be done in preparing the disciples for, again, uncharted waters that were coming. He did not address what they were feeling, but did pull the twelve aside. Jesus began to tell them for the third time that they were going to Jerusalem, and there the Son of Man would be delivered into the hands of the religious leaders, condemned to death. And then for the first time, he tells them that he will be delivered into the hands of the Gentiles as well. In other words, the government, the Roman government. He told them he would be mocked, spat upon, flogged, and then he would be killed. But that's not where the story ends. Because he also tells them once more, after three days, he will rise. Because this was the third time that Jesus had told his disciples that he was going to Jerusalem and told them what was to happen to him there, they were amazed and afraid. And yet Jesus was filled with courage, having the will to do the will of the Father. Jesus didn't think that this was a possibility. It's, a, it's possible that as I go to Jerusalem that these things would happen. But he knew that they were a certainty. Jesus knew that this was the very reason why he was sent by the Father. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. His death so that others may live, so that others may know eternal life. You know, we've read time and time again how it was that the Lord told Joshua before he went into the promised land, to be strong and courageous, right? We, we ought to know that when God tells us to be strong and courageous and to not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go, He's telling us something that is certain. Something that we can trust in and then live out with great success in the eyes of the Lord. For the Lord had told Joshua, if you... Or for you to have success in doing this that I have sent you to do. Well, do not depart from my word. 
Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. We can stand on that. We can trust in him. We can have confidence in the Lord. Don't lose heart. Don't be dismayed. Don't lose hope. Trust in the Lord and know that he is faithful and he is able. Jesus may not have addressed the people's amazement and fear directly, but he himself did serve as the perfect example of courage and complete devotion to God in life and in death. As they followed him, they learned what it looked like to be courageous and fearless and willing to endure anything and everything for the sake of fulfilling the Father's will. Again, the question for us is as we consider the Lord and how it was that he again told his disciples, I'm going to Jerusalem. This is what's going to happen. And he led them. He didn't delay. He kept going. May that courage, may his courage encourage us, fill us with a confidence knowing that we are kept by God. We are not lost even after death. In fact, after death, death being simply the doorway into eternal life and glory. We fear nothing. Absolutely nothing. I think of much that we're concerned with and given to today. We're trying desperately to hold on to this mortal life. Trying to improve on it. Prolong it. I think of the multitude of health programs and diets and exercises. And although exercise profits some, the Bible says it profits little. Godly discipline profits much. I think about, and I am grateful for, the advances in medicine... And at the same time, I have not met one doctor. I have not come across one piece of medicine, nothing, tell me if I'm wrong, that can actually provide and sustain life forever. At some point, and from what I understand, 100% of people will die. Have you heard that statistic? We, we ought to prepare for this life and for the one to come. Knowing that anything that man offers only goes so far, and yet sometimes it deceives us and it, it causes us to hope in something that is futile. We become anxious and worried, so overwhelmed with this life that we miss the whole point of keeping our eyes fixed on the Lord and being willing to live for him in his glory, come what may. John 4.34 says, Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me, and to accomplish his work. Not his own work, he was sent to do the will of the Father. Jesus himself was fearless. But he was also patient. Verse 35, as we continue, it says, And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. And Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. To sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, 
they began to be indignant at James and John. Jesus showed incredible patience with his disciples. Uh, Jesus knew that much was not understood when it, was, when it had to do with the kingdom and his reign and what the disciples would experience in his name. He knew that. They, they, did not, they could not foresee what was to come. They did not fully understand or grasp the things that Jesus was telling them in the moment. But notice that Jesus did not rebuke James and John for this request. As he did the disciples earlier when they wanted to prevent the children from coming to Jesus. He understood they lacked understanding. In fact, they themselves at this point were the very children lacking understanding. Even though Jesus would tell them that he must suffer, be crucified and die and rise from the grave, they still thought that he was going to, even at that time, establish a political kingdom in which he would reign Delivering them all from Roman rule. So in essence, what they were asking for are positions within his kingdom, in his reign. As we arrive in Jerusalem, perhaps what you're saying is, is all symbolic and you're, you're, you're going to reign. And, and so we'd like to reign with you. May we sit at your right hand and your left hand. May we have positions of administrative importance and value. May we be great with you. But we ought to pay attention to how Jesus replied because he was patient with them. Because what they were requesting, what they were asking for, and I know as we, as we read this and we think, wow, how, how can they do this? I mean, they started out saying, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And we think, well, who, who are James and John to ask him something like this? And then when he said, hey, are you, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism with which I'm baptized? And they very simply, very quickly said, we are able. When do we start? We're willing. Let's do this thing. Jesus didn't take it lightly. Because he knew the seriousness of what they, in reality, would experience for the sake of furthering the gospel. He knew exactly what they were going to experience. Jesus made a statement that they didn't know what they were asking for and then asked them if they thought they were able to suffer the way he was about to suffer. That's what he was asking. So we're able. See, James and John would at some point become great in the kingdom of heaven. But it wouldn't be known the way they had envisioned Think about that for your own life. What do you envision as being great while serving him here? And as you serve him here, what is considered to be great by the Lord? You see, they had no idea what was coming. They would indeed drink from the cup of suffering. But it would be different for James and it would be for John. They would fully drink from the cup of suffering. They would be fully submerged in the baptism of suffering, disaster, danger, and great anguish. Anguish. James would be martyred. According to Acts chapter 12, in verse 1, it says, About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. 
This was during the days of unleavened bread. Oh, they would indeed drink. They would indeed be baptized. In the baptism of suffering and most of martyrdom. John, well, he would suffer much, but he wouldn't be martyred. In fact, he was exiled to the island of Patmos, and church history tells us, very reliable church history tells us, that uh, he was even boiled in a vat of boiling oil. Think about that. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into a fiery furnace, and yet they were unsinged. They, they didn't even smell like smoke as they were brought out. John, I don't know, we don't know, if he suffered pain in the moment that he was thrown into the vat of boiling oil, but we know that he survived. You see, God had more work for him to do. He wrote the whole book of Revelation, and it's for your sake and mine. We have a day, we have a time that the Lord will call us home. Until then, we cannot be killed. We will not be killed. No matter who it is that intends, intends that harm upon us, it, it doesn't matter. At that very moment, though, when we're called to be home, we're going home. For John, they couldn't kill him. And Jesus told, just imagine, he told James and John, you will indeed drink from the cup of suffering and be baptized with the same baptism as himself, as Jesus would. But to have a place of honor in his kingdom, well, he told them it was not for him to decide or choose. It's our, those things have already been set. They've been prepared. Well, that conversation didn't go over really well with the other disciples. The, the other disciples overheard James and John request this of Jesus. And we see how it is that when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. Um, they were angry, upset, annoyed at these two. You could say that they were also resentful. We also need to pay attention to Jesus' response to them. Because he didn't get upset. He didn't get upset at the two, and he didn't get upset at the ten. He was patient with them all. Speaking to them things that would later un- they would let- later understand and put into practice. Even serving them in those moments as courage, strengthening their faith in the word of God. So as we pay attention to Jesus, he was fearless and he was also patient. But we also see how it is that he was teaching them that he was a servant of all. And if they truly desire to be great in the kingdom of God, they also ought to give themselves and be the servant of all. Verse 42, and Jesus called them to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus, remember, he was with the two. He was with James and John. They had put in their request to be great in the kingdom of Jesus, political kingdom here on earth, as they understood. And now Jesus responds to them. Then he calls over the ten. They were angry. They were upset. They were annoyed with these two. But he calls them over. And he taught them about what it means to be great in the kingdom of God. He wanted not just the two to know, but he wanted all 12 to know. First, Jesus pointed out what was obvious to them, what, what was generally known by everyone. 
that is what the world considers as greatness, the seeking of position, status, power, and authority. You know, outside of the Lord, outside of knowing what blesses and honors the Lord, I can tell you that the world is given to this. I personally remember my, my climb to success. I remember thinking at one point, at one point in, uh, when I was young, uh, watching this movie, and, and in it I saw these men with sh- sharp suits. I mean, they looked amazing to me, carrying briefcases, and they had tons of money. They drove whatever cars they wanted to, went wherever they wanted to, did whatever they wanted to, as far as what what I saw. And I thought, that's what I want. My goal, have a nice house, have nice cars, and live a life that was filled with pleasure, luxury. Isn't that common? Isn't that common knowledge? The world knows this, right? We all know what it, how success is defined by the world, don't we? So, Jesus didn't have to spend much time like describing this. Guys, fellas, gather around. I, I need to explain some things to you. He simply said this, hey, you know, you know, that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. You, you, you know how it goes. You didn't have to expound, right? There are some things we insist on having the Lord expound for us that really doesn't need any more explanation. It just is what it is. We, we know. And then he gave a sharp rebuke. Verse 43, but it shall not be so among you. As the world is regarding greatness, that is not what will be known within the people of God, within the children of God, within the church of God. It will not be known. In fact, in in James... James chapter 4, verse 1 says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. You know, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. In other words, we're not given to the philosophies of the world and bless the Lord through those philosophies and walking those out. We draw close to the Lord. We bless and honor Him. And you want to know why it is that there's turmoil even within the church? Well, reread James 1, 1 through 4. It's plain and simple. When you know what we ought to be praying for and then living out in our own lives, then you realize how to have that peace and that unity amongst the brethren and enjoy that within even the body of Christ and the local church here that's called refuge. Jesus told them what is expected to not be a part of the church. The fellowship of the saints, the bride of Christ. The desire to be great in the eyes of the Lord is a good thing. But it is much different for the child of God than it is for the child of the world. And you're one or the other. There's no in between. You know, the, uh, the fence that someone sits on is owned by Satan. There's no such thing. Jesus said, you're either for me or against me. Well, I'm kind of there. No, you're not, not, you're not there at all. 
We, we wish that you were completely there. In fact, Jesus referred to the, the church or the person who is lukewarm. He says, oh, I wish that you would be cold or hot. Because you're lukewarm, I will spew you out of my mouth. It is good to desire to be great in the eyes of the Lord, but we need to understand that it looks much different for the child of God than it is, than it, than it is for a child of the world. With God, he said two things. The great serve others, and the first are slaves of all. Willing servants, willing slaves. Pastor, but those are strong words. It seems so demeaning, especially today, right? And the culture and the day in which we live in. Can't you use like other words? No. Why? Because the Bible says slaves. In fact, it uses the word doulos. It's a, it's a willing slave. It's a person who willingly gives of themselves in such a way that they subject themselves to being servants and being slaves. Imagine that. Lord, I love you so much that I will serve you. I will be a slave to you who owes you. I owe you my whole life. I'm willing to do anything for you. Yeah, there's strong words. And they may be offensive to you, but this is the very thing that glorifies the Lord. May we lose our own personal dignity, dignity and, and the respect that we seek in the eyes of the world, but gain the approval of God and are considered faithful in His eyes. May we desire to please Him, our Lord and Savior. Being great in the eyes of our Lord is not to serve others in order to be great either. I want to be seen as being a servant of all, and that I, I can bear with being a slave to all in order for perhaps others to notice and, and then others to pat me on the back and give me those attaboys and attagirls and, and perhaps I will gain a position within the church in some way, shape, or form. Wrong motive. Wrong motive. It, it should be solely for the purpose of glorifying God. 1 Peter 5, 6 says, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you. Whose proper time? It's the Lord's proper time, right? If it's in His timing at all, as we're here on earth, it may not be here. He will at some point, though, acknowledge if it's with genuine motives, the service that you provided to minister to Him here. Remember, it's all treasure that we're heaping up in heaven. That's where it counts. As he sees fit, whatever that may be, and whenever that may be, and wherever that may be, it's all in his hands. And Jesus points to himself as we read here in Mark chapter 10. He points to himself as the example. He says, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He came not to be served like so many desire, but rather to serve, that is the Father's will, to accomplish it, and to give his life a ransom for many. Meaning that Jesus came to set the captives free, the condemned to know the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ, and that alone setting them free from the sting of death and the sting of sin. Man could never know this in and of himself, but only by the shed blood of Jesus Christ and his full payment for the sin of the world. John 1.29, John the Baptist said as he saw Jesus coming toward him as he was baptizing in the Jordan, he said this as he saw Jesus coming, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, that all should reach repentance. Oh, we see how it is that Jesus is fearless, he's patient, 
and he is indeed the servant of all. May we reflect that character, that very spirit in our own lives, knowing that we are indwelt with his spirit, and we are to glorify him. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Let us learn to serve and give our lives to him. I want to close with a story. I had mentioned John Chow. I had read about his life before, but then in more detail here as of late. Uh, By the way, you can read the story on uh, persecution.com, and you can go into stories and then John Chow, spelled C-H-A-U. And I'm going to read to you just a few things in regards to what is written there. If all had gone according to John Allen Chow's plan, we would never have known his name. He intended to remain invisible to the world whether he lived or died, caring only to be seen by the one who told his followers to go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. But instead, in November 2018... News outlets around the world were running the story of a 26-year-old American man who had been killed trying to make contact with a remote tribe on North Sentinel Island, a tiny speck in the Bay of Bengal between India and Southeast Asia. Many news reports and opinion pieces implied that John had been foolish to contact a people group known to be violent toward outsiders. What they didn't know was that John had prepared for years to reach the Sentinelese with the good news of Jesus Christ. John closed most of his journal entries as well as letters to friends and family with the Latin phrase, soli dio gloria, glory to God alone. There's more to the story, and and I'll leave that for you to read if you so wish. But it goes on to say in the, the section that says the beach, On November 16, 2018, John went ashore on North Sentinel Island for the last time. When the fishermen returned the next day, according to the police report, they saw, quote, a dead person being buried at the shore, which from the silhouette of the body, clothing, and circumstances appeared to be the body of John Allen Chow. Nothing is known about what happened between John's arrival on the beach and his death. The young man who would later be ridiculed as a quote-unquote colonizer, had approached the Sentinelese without a weapon, even after being shot at, purely willing to give up his own life. John's body was never recovered. He had requested, if killed, his body be left on the island. Following his death, a storm of vitriol was unleashed on John, his family, all nations, and at times anyone who would dare to think of sharing the gospel with another human being. The fishermen who took John to the island were arrested, as were other Christians who had spoken with John in the Andaman Islands. Their trial began in November 2021. And not the end of the story. I believe that the measure of success in the kingdom of God is obedience, John said just a few months before his death. He said, quote, I want my life to reflect obedience to Christ and to live in obedience to him. I think that Jesus is worth it. He's worth everything. The final pages of John's journal, which he left with the fisherman before being dropped off the last time, are notes to his family and a friend. The notes, like others written to friends in John's last weeks, include a challenge for them to remain faithful to Christ. Imagine that. And he said this, and I'll leave you with this. I pray you will never love anything in this world more than you love Christ. Close quote. Father, here was a life who was drawn to you in such a way that he was 
willing to prepare for years for this single moment. And yet, <clears throat> we, do not, we do not glorify John Chow. In fact, he is your servant. He is the one who was willing to give even his life for the sake of spreading the gospel. Who we pray for are those who remain condemned in their sin. The people of the island of Sentinel. We ask, Lord, that in perhaps some divine way, Lord, that you would reach them with the example that was set by John Chow. His faith in you, knowing that eternal life belongs to you and not to any one person or group of people. Lord, he was going to spread the gospel, come what may. Oh, Lord, what I do ask is that perhaps... This would serve as, as an example for us to be fearless, to be patient in your timing, but also, Lord, to be willing to live our lives as living sacrifices unto you. Why? Because we love you, because we've already been forgiven, and Lord, glory awaits us. And so, Lord, what we have to offer, I ask that you would receive. And Lord, that we would simply keep our eyes focused and fixed on you. For you are the author and perfecter of our faith. I pray, Lord, that your kindness would draw others unto you. That they would know salvation in Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That if we confess with our lips, with our mouths, that Jesus Oh, Lord Jesus is Lord and he is God. And that he was raised on the third day. The Bible says that we will be saved. Lord, I pray that, that anyone who is not in this very moment does not know the forgiveness of their sins, that this very moment would be a, a moment of yielding, of completely surrendering their lives to you, knowing their forgiveness, the forgiveness of their sins, knowing that they are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, who shed blood, covers their sin, paid for their sins in full, and through Christ knows the certain hope of being in your glory forever. May today be the day of salvation. May your church be encouraged. May you be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.